the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Bad things are happening. You're not getting the answers you want. You're not getting answers, period. And it's common in human nature, human sinful nature, to go to a dark place when God seems angry. That's coming up next. Hi there. Welcome to Abounding Grace. We're in Job chapter 30 today, and considering all that Job has gone through up until this point, and with the silence of heaven following it, he begins to wonder if God is angry. When God seems angry is the title of our message, and I think it's commonplace for all of us to be there. We don't hear from the Lord. We don't get the answers we want. We don't get answers, period. And we begin to wonder. Is God angry at us? When God Seems Angry is the title of our message. We're in Job chapter 30. Join us for a few answers. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. In the last section, that is in verses 21 through 31, Job says perhaps one of the most difficult things he has said yet. He says, you have come, you have become cruel to me. Now, I certainly do not believe Job, and I can't go with him here because God never treats his children cruelly. Never, never, never. Plus, growing up in the New Covenant era, we need to remember something. God's fierce wrath or cruelty can mean boiling rage. And that rage, though, has been fully satisfied on the back of Jesus Christ. Just let that sink in for a minute. Jesus The holy, holy, holy God has never, ever, ever been angry with you in the sense of fierce wrath. Why? Because you are forgiven. There's no condemnation any longer. Zephaniah 13, 17 says, His love is set on you, beloved. Now that will do something to you if you think on it. You meditate on that when you go to sleep tonight and when you wake up in the morning because, you know, Monday morning comes around and what happens to you? Bam! Monday morning is here. Traffic, work, kids, school, all these things we've got to do. I just feel overwhelmed. Where are you, Lord? If you were with me, Lord, it would be like I was on vacation. If you really loved me, Lord, I'd win the lottery. I mean, if you really, really were with me, Lord. Instead of like, wait a minute. God's love is set upon me. Not because of how I feel. Not because of what he's given me. Because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. So my father will never, never treat me cruelly. And plus, even when he does test us, it's not because he's cruel. It is because he would lead us to trust our Savior and run to Jesus who told us what? 
The wise man builds his house upon the rock. The foolish man builds his house upon the sand. And what happened to these two houses? The rain comes down. The floods come up. And the wind blew. The one built on the sand was destroyed. The one built on the rock of Jesus Christ stood strong. Jesus already told us there is going to be trouble. So we learn how, how, among other things, if we are going to avoid saying, God, you are being cruel to me. You are not being fair. You're treating me ugly. We need to remember to abide in Christ and to trust in his anchor, the anchor of our soul within the veil. Because if we don't, when trials come, we will think that God is being cruel to us. We'll forget verse 22. When the winds winds of trouble blow, God is doing what? He is blowing the little ember of your faith into a blazing fire so that you will put your trust in him and pray. How is that ever a bad thing? It's not a bad thing. It's one of the most precious things I have known. God brings particular seasons into our lives to lead us to him. To lead us to him. We may feel with Job, verse 23, that the Lord is bringing me death. It is my time to die. The doctor said, terminal. There's nothing that can be done. You you must go out and make your will, get your affairs in order. But wait a minute. Doesn't the Lord say even then? He will walk through with us the valley of the shadow of death. We don't have to fear any evil. Hasn't he said in Psalm 139, Whether shall I flee from thy presence? So again, it all depends upon the perspective you have on suffering and on your trials as to whether or not you say, Hey, the Lord is being cruel or boy. The Lord is sure working things in me I needed. He is working trust. He is working submission. He is working prayer. He is teaching me that he is strong when I am weak. So these are the promises we must take ourselves when we are suffering. My responsibilities when trials come is to trust him and please him by pushing forward no matter how I feel. Is this you? Or you just want to wimp out and say, I can't, when what you're really saying is, I won't. Because you are relying on your own strength, not the strength of Almighty God. And verses 24 and 25 tell us we're not going to necessarily find strength in other men, at least not lasting strength. If we had time, we'd go to Psalm 35 and in many ways, Job anticipates what David said there, that they, when these, that hey, when these people were sick, I was crying for them, but now that it is my time to fall into trouble, they are making fun of me. Sometimes, verse 26, we look for good. Surely today will be the day when I feel better, but just more trouble, more calamity, more hardships. Verse 27, we would never think, That if we are righteous, that we won't feel like we are boiling inside. That that everything is just agitated. Job says in verse 28, I cry in the congregation. It's like it didn't do me any good. 
and we translated going to church didn't do me any good. I still feel just as lame and as helpless and sorrowful as I did before I went because our eyes are not set on Christ. They're set on ourselves and our problems. Then Job concludes here and says, I'm in a wilderness, verse 29. I'm a brother to jackals and a companion of owls. He said, my skin is black, it is scorched. And with these troubles that God has brought upon me, my voice is like a mournful organ that is weeping. All right, let me tell you something. When God brings the people, brings his people through the wilderness, It is often the most important thing that ever happened to them in their life. And wildernesses don't always look like Moses' situation. But wasn't Moses' wilderness a blessing to him? He would have never gone to Mount Sinai and sat up there and said, Lord, show me your glory. And yet, remember, he spent 40 years in exile. John the Baptist spent all those years in the wilderness, and he had such a great diet, didn't he? He ate locusts and wild honey, and yet he was the one, because of those years of preparation, who got to say, Behold, the Lamb of God. It is amazing what God does to people when they go through the wilderness of suffering. Think of the victory of our Lord won over Satan and the confirmation that he really was the Savior of the world because he spent those 40 days in the wilderness taking all of the worst temptations that Satan could hurl at him and he overcame. Why? Because he trusted his Father. So it's good to have the owls for your brother and the jackals. If we learn in the wilderness... That God is our loving Father. That is the most important lesson of all. That we truly are to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we live by his promises. Now I know that no one likes to hear this. And we think, I don't want to go through the wilderness. After all, I'm an American. The wilderness to me is when Starbucks has run out of venti cups. Or when all the apps on my phone shut down or my computer freezes. That is as much wilderness as I want. Well then, be prepared to remain weak. Be prepared to remain narcissistic. Be prepared to never really know the strength of God. Because that is why he brings his people into trials. And then again, it is according to his measure. Not not everyone, hardly anyone is going to suffer like Job to his degree, but we all know the Lord is really pressing on me here. I used to be strong over here, but now I'm weak. I've got this nagging pain. I've got this debilitating relationship, whatever it may be. Why does God have his servants pass through the wilderness? Let me end by giving you five reasons. One, very simply, to remind us that this earth is not our home. Now, we love things here, and there is nothing anti-material about this at all, but we are strangers and pilgrims. And it is through many tribulations that we will enter into God's kingdom. But you see, the world is constantly pressing on our affections, saying, no, this is your home. 
This is all that there is. So grab the gusto. Make the most of it. But the Lord teaches his children a different lesson. And he says, I don't want you to set your affections here. I want you to remember you are a pilgrim on the way to my eternal city. The second reason the Lord brings us through the wilderness is closely related. It is so we will have heavenly affections. We need to set our mind on heavenly things. Do you understand how much we need that sense that there is a higher reality that is going on right now in the presence of God? That Jesus is there? There is singing there and the songs are not some little warm fuzzy ditties, beloved. The angels are rejoicing. There is... Christ and with him are the spirits of just men who are perfect, looking forward to his return, just like we are. So oftentimes in the pain and the suffering, what is the Lord calling us to do? Remember Colossians 3.1. Since, since then you are risen with Christ, set your affections on things above where Christ is, where he is reigning at the right hand of God. Do not set your affections on things below, but on things above. For Christ is your life, and when he appears, you will appear with him in his glory. Let me ask you a question. If you have spent any time in the wilderness of suffering in whatsoever form it may have been, has your affliction or testing made you long more for God? Has it turned your thoughts to Him? Okay, I just want to be with Him. Have you ever been reading at the end of Revelations and you come across that line, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come! And you're thinking, Oh man, I just want to be with Christ. Paul said, I want to depart and be with Him because it is better by far. And you might be thinking, how is that going to help me with my trials? Oh, it will help you. Because if you remember, while you're having to deal with whatever is going on in your life here on earth, and while you're dealing with yourself and your sin and with God's hand in your life, wow, I know where I'm heading. I see a little bit by faith what God is doing. And I can't wait to see more of it. And someday I'm going to join the choir and... Maybe they'll actually want me in it. And I'll be able to sing praises to God and I will be able to love my Savior in His presence. You understand that, beloved? In His presence. You see, Job couldn't see these things like we do. Because Christ had not yet come, but we do see them and we must see them. A third reason, of course, that Christ brings us through the wilderness is to expose the idols of our heart. That's probably the ultimate reason for we disciples. Let's say your wilderness happens to be your parents and that they're miffed with you right now. And it's a little uncomfortable in your home. You're a young person and you're struggling because there is a disciplinary issue, an attitude issue. And you're thinking this is very uncomfortable. So what do you do? Well, I'm going to go to my room and live in my little artificial world. I'm going to just live on my phone. I'm going to find out what my friends are doing. I'm going to get out of this house because I don't want to spend any time in the wilderness dealing with my issues or even humble myself before the Lord. So what do we do? We push it off. 
And the idols of our heart are never dealt with, and they just continue to grow up, growing new arms and legs until as adults we look at ourselves and wonder, why am I like this? It is because you didn't listen to God when He brought you through the wilderness. You didn't listen to your parents. You didn't say, wait a minute, I mean, I don't like what my parents are doing. But the Lord is behind what they are doing God has brought the pressure on me through them so that I will yield, so that I will learn, so that I will repent of my sins. If you're praying and I'm praying that we are walking closer to God and that we are obedient disciples, we have to expect discipline. You know, there's a lot of pride in us. Think about it. Would Moses have ever been able to walk into Pharaoh and say, let my people go? Remember, this is the guy who thought he was the great deliverer. He saw the Egyptian brutalizing one of the Jews, and he killed him and buried it in the sand. On the one hand, Moses wanted to deliver his people then, but he kills this man, buries him in the sand, and he runs away. Moses was kind of schizophrenic, wasn't he? But in the wilderness, when the Lord dealt with him, he went back to Egypt and one is, was one of the meekest men who ever lived. He was broken. And God uses broken men and broken women. God doesn't use those who are full of themselves. God doesn't use those who say, I can do it. God doesn't have, have those who say, you know, I'm not really going to learn much of anything anyway because I don't want to submit. I just want to be me, and I want everyone just to simply like me. And with all of my sullenness or bad attitude, just leave me alone. Oh, beloved, be careful. The worst thing God can ever say to us is, okay, I'm going to leave you alone. Like C.S. Lewis said in The Great Divorce, God never say to you, okay, Gary, thy will be done. Gary, thy will be done. Because that is the stroke of hell. So we better learn from the discipline that the Lord brings into our lives. But there's something else going on. So the Lord brings us to the wilderness because the thirst is not our home. We are to have heavenly affections and to expose the idols of our heart, but there is something bigger. Job didn't say it, and that is, God is laughing at all of his enemies. He is laughing at the devil. Remember what the devil said, God, Job doesn't serve you because he loves you. He serves you because you have made his life a paradise. And the Lord says, okay, do your worst, Satan. Don't kill him. But do your worst. You see, there's another audience to what is going on in the world. The angels and the demons. And now that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, he is making an open mockery of Satan and principalities and powers and rulers. So it's very, very important for us. When we go through suffering to remember God is showing his power in my weakness. So with my unbelieving friends and family, when they see me suffering, I don't want that to be an occasion for them to say, you know what, the devil was right. Those Christians really do only serve God when everything goes their way. They can cuss with the best of them when things don't go their way. 
No, we want to give a testimony that faith is real. We do truly serve God for nothing except the love of Him. Not because we are anything, but because He is everything. So God gives greater glory to Himself and shows His glory in sustaining us in our trials. But there's one last thing. Do not run away from God's testings. I know they're hard. They can be gut-wrenching in the extreme. I don't know everything all of you have gone through, but do remember, God is not ever cruel. The Lord was not cruel to Moses. He was not cruel to John the Baptist. He was not cruel to Joseph. He was not cruel to Paul and Silas when they went through their wilderness experience in the jail cell. Basically a dungeon. Every saint must pass through some measure of suffering because God loves his children. And he wants them to be on the right track of obedience to him. And when we yield to him in our trials, in those setbacks of life that we didn't expect, we learn something that is the sweetest and most precious truth. No unbeliever even knows what I'm talking about here. We learn that nothing is as precious as this one little truth. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so, because he shows his love to us, especially in those dark places when we pass through the wilderness. We don't want to be like Peter. You know, I don't want to learn humility by passing through the wilderness of learning self-denial. Or like Jonah, I'm not going and passing through the wilderness and doing something I don't want to do. So what then? What if I don't want to go through these things? What if I fight it so I don't have to go through them? You get swallowed up by worse troubles. However dark, however painful our wilderness happens to be, remember, the Lord will show you his love. That's his promise. You can bank on it. And you will seek him. Psalm 25 is... My go-to passage when I'm going through any trouble is my suffering psalm. Lord, remember your loving kindness and your tender mercies, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, but remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he will teach sinners in the way. The meek he will guide in judgment. The meek he will teach his way. Lord, it hurts. I don't like it. Make me meek. Make me teachable. Break me of me. Save me from me. Help me to love you and trust you. And in that, the Lord shows us his love for us. So we're going to meet Job in heaven. And he's probably going to chuckle a little bit and say... You know, I probably shouldn't have said that because God wasn't being cruel. But at the time, I felt like it. But I know better now because I see Jesus and I see what God was doing in my life. But we are blessed even more than Job was. I've said before that we are richer than Job because we have so many more promises than he had.
so much more encouragement than he had. So what are we doing with all of this? Are we really looking to Jesus? Are we meditating on his saving work? Are we loving him, growing in grace and in the knowledge of him? Oh, beloved, this is our privilege as his disciples. But remember, our focus must be on him and never on ourselves. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. (music) 